Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Thank you as ever for listening. Uh, what you're about to hear is part two of a two-part series that we're doing with Gary Lockie. Uh, we look forward to recording more episodes with Gary in the future. Hopefully get Spence in on that one as well. If you have any questions or things that you would like to hear Gary talk about, whether that's growing up or whether that's hunting or whether that's the Bird Dog Museum or whether that's field trials in general, um, go ahead and send those in to us at Rolling Thunder Calls on our Instagram, or you can send them straight to me, Kenny underscore photo on Instagram, and I'd be happy to get those in for you. So without further ado, let's get to it. Get up. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage. Because everything is better in Bottomland. And Lucky Duck Premium Decoys, Masters of Deception. One of the, my favorite things about the museum is it's not just about pointers. Oh, that's right. Now, it's about dogs. Well, now, I got in trouble on that. Now, you brought up a very good point. Since we had people that were interested mostly in pointing dogs, I... I uh, I don't want to say I got in trouble, but you you had people complain when we got the retrievers in. Exactly. And then we had one guy says, you got you named this thing Bird Dog Museum. And he come up and he says, you can't call these retrievers bird dogs. I says, why not? He says, retrievers just don't go for that bird dog crap. I said, well, let me just give you a couple of examples of some things I'm aware of. If you go down to these big plantations in Georgia, North Florida, Southern South Carolina, mm-hmm. Eastern, ten, uh, Eastern Alabama and what have you, these big old plantations where they charge these Yankees and these rich folks come down and, and hunt $1,500 a day and uh, some some of that stuff. I says, uh, they got this match pair of mules. They've got this beautiful wagon, and they got this guy sitting up there driving the thing. And said alongside of that guy's a big old black Labrador. I says, what is that guy doing on the, what's that Labrador doing on that wagon? He says, it's retrieving. I says, he's retrieving what? <laughs> he's retrieving birds. birds. <laughs> so why doesn't that make him a bird dog? So, I finally well, got... Well, each dog has its own role. You've got your exactly. pointers and your flushers and your retrievers, and they all do their own and thing. And I pushed that to the limit. And like I said, I had some... Push back a little bit. Yeah, I had some... But it didn't worry me because I said, if you look at our mission, I've got those three areas of bird dogs categorized. The pointing breeds, the retrieving breeds, and the flushing breeds. Right. And I said, some of all that activity takes place in the near Grand Junction. So getting back to that uh, yep. uh, the gravitational t- timeline, yep. you got, hey, you got those three situations. And now look at it right now. Right now they're having a Springer trial where Bob Builder used to be. Right. Okay. 
you've got you've had field trials around Memphis almost forever. Well, we've had a field trial for retrievers out here at Ames Plantation. Yep. So I I feel like if I had to, or if it became a problem, I can justify the fact that you've got Grand Junction has everything about bird dogs. It sure does. And it has everything about nearly all breeds of bird dogs. And it has a driver to make it happen. And they've got the people to make it happen. That's right. You see, the other thing that I, I promoted for a long time, that in the hunting side, and it has a field trial element to it, mm-hmm. it's like they shoot to retrieve people and the national bird hunters, the American bird hunters. You don't have to have that horse, mm-hmm. that uh, 350 Ford pickup, that big, long horse trailer, and then 49 dogs to make a living. 49. Hey, you could take this one dog and stick him in the back of your car yep. and go out to a shoot-to-retrieve trial on the weekend and have a, a big time. Have a good time, yep. just like you were talking about. You like to hunt? Oh, man, yeah. So yeah, uh, you can do it with one dog. Well, that's that's one of the things my favorite thing about the, the Spaniel trial is that you've got people, and these some of them are professional handlers. Oh, yeah. But some of them are just, uh, uh, my favorite's the amateur event. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just the, yeah, you have your doctors and you have your other things, but you also have your, your just other folks that are from Iowa. Yeah. All, just random places who come to, LaGrange, Tennessee, to Grand Junction, Tennessee, and they to run an amateur trial. Like, it's so cool. And to be able to, one of the things I appreciate about the museum is that it really highlights what the different dogs do and why they yeah. do it. And so my favorite part about the, the Spaniel trial is, is actually doing the, the shagging. Yeah, As yeah. you walk right behind, you can hear the judges talking oh, to that? the handlers. Sure. You, can, you can hear the dogs when they're, when they're coursing and... I love that, and yep. and it's also the fact that it's still a live trial. Yep, yep, is 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 a, amazing to watch. Well, you see, the thing that we try to do is to make sure that any dog, any breed, has a prominent place. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, you don't shoot down these dogs with a big mustache and uh, what have you. This. <laughs> Long hair or short hair or what have you. Right. But uh, but an, an individual by himself, and this is what actually has promoted a lot of people from the amateur state to the uh, professional level or from a, a low money level to a high money level is, uh, is this competition that we're talking about. Yep. Uh, and the camaraderie of the sport. Yeah, exactly. Of, exactly. Of having other people that get it. And appreciate it yeah. and love it the way you do. And the thing is, too, you and you got so a lot of people having these kid trials. Hmm. In other words, where you got young people participating in the trials, you got women participating in the trials. Yeah, I mean, you got the families participating yep. in trials. So I mean, it's covering the whole waterfront, yep. which makes the thing very beautiful. In in my opinion, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's fun, and it's it's cool that this can be the the center of a lot of that, yeah. and I want people to to know that and to remember that, and I hope people do come to the trials, and I want yeah. I want the sport to continue. Yeah. And but now, uh, from a fun standpoint, I have traveled to the forty eight states 
promoting this thing. Have you? Yeah. And we had an interesting thing happen. One of our, her sons and his girlfriend at the time, it's his wife now, and their three kids, go to Germany and run across somebody over there with a bird dog museum uh, T-shirt. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's no, beautiful. Hey, where in the world did you get that? Well, I got it at a, at a bird dog museum. How about that? That's one of the things that's... That's that is so fun about the community itself. Yeah. Any type of hunting, where it, I don't I don't want to call it a uniform, but it's like these little signals that I guess we give off that kind of jumpstart your knowledge of someone. Yeah, yeah. Where if somebody saw me with my bird dog museum hat somewhere random, yeah. They kind of there's like this assumed familiarity with me right away. Yeah. And we yeah. can kind of skip past some of the informality or some of the formalities and. In Germany, though, that's I, wild. I like to, uh, one other cute story that I, I told somebody about. We had somebody here from, I forgot, but I remember their last name was Jones. And they were from Australia or New Zealand. I've forgotten which, but I think it was Australia. And they came to the museum, and I gave them a tour of the museum and so forth. And I mentioned, so I mentioned the Ames Plantation. They said, well, we've heard about that, so-and-so and so-and-so. I said, well, would you like to go out and see where we run that trial? Mm. Oh, oh, yeah, we'd love to. So, so. so <clears throat> you know, when you go out that Ellington Road, mm-hmm. remember the church down there called the Jones Chapel? Yes. Okay. This Australian guy was named Jones, and I have. He'd been to the museum, and I'd given him the tour. Mm-hmm. He said, would you like to go to Ames? So to get in my car, and I stop at that Jones Chapel, and I said, now here's a church that was named for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the guy looked at me like, what kind of nut are you? <laughs> so I said, That's funny. well... It's the Jones Chapel, and your name is Jones, Jones so there must be. Must be. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so um, the trials are coming up here shortly. Yep. What, will you be participating in some form or fashion this year? No, the only thing I'll do this year probably is drive, ride the road a little bit because I think they want as little participation by anybody except the people involved. Right. From from the standpoint of COVID or in yeah, general? Yeah, from the standpoint of COVID. Okay. okay. And they're not, I don't know what they're doing about feeding people. I, that, mm. I, that hadn't been addressed, but I don't think they're rigged to feed people. That's too bad. That fish fry every year is pretty. Yeah, fish fry. It's a big deal. No activity at the museum. Mm. In other words, what we have, like a kickoff party like the night before the museum, uh, the trial starts have a fish fry at the museum before it starts. In fact, like like three or four different things, Field Trial Hall of Fame induction, you know, just before it starts. So none of that's going to take place. Oh, that's too bad. I hope this COVID nonsense goes away fast. We need those traditions. I don't like traditions being up. Well, I wish uh, they'd get the kids back to school, get the people going back to church. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... Well, now, what specifically do you do? I manage the finances of the school. 
Okay. So I'm the chief financial officer there, and and I pay everybody and uh, okay. make sure that we pay pay payroll and take money in for tuition. And okay. okay. So we we make sure that we keep okay. everything. Square. So that's a full time job. It is. Yep. So on on the side, I do some photography and 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 the podcast, and so it's fun. It, it's kind of just a good outlet, and yeah, yeah. It's been the past the past several years. I've been running around with a camera a little bit, and it's. It's been fun because I've I've gotten a chance to hunt in Kansas and Oklahoma and and some different places that I wouldn't have been able to hunt before. Have you gone to South Dakota? I haven't. I know that's very near and dear to your heart. Man, talk to me about South Dakota. <laughs> no, but it's a it's a place that apparently the I don't want to say I guess habitat. Um. And ever what nature puts into the soil, into the food supply, food chain, in the biology of the bird and what have you. Apparently, of all the places in the country, South Dakota um, enhances a pheasant more than any other state. Really? Yeah. But now, there's, there's pheasant hunting in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Is pheasant hunting in Nebraska? Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of Nebraska pheasant hunting. Yep. I remember in the in the falls, you just kind of disappeared. I think you would you and Sally'd run <laughs> off to Texas <laughs> yeah, and South yeah, Dakota. Yeah. And hey, well, you go where the hunting all is, the birds go where the hunting is good. But uh, uh, I can't prove the scientific thing. But now, if you'll get a map out. And say start at Maryland here mm-hmm. or Pennsylvania and go all the way across the country to California. Now, California has a lot of pheasants. Yep. And quail, too. And valley quail. Yep. Okay. Uh, Pennsylvania had a lot of pheasant hunting. Oh, interesting. Uh, Are you saying there's something about that? That latitude? Yeah, that latitude. I'm saying something about that latitude. Interesting. That, that actually enhances fail reproduction. Really? That I've just, never heard of that. Just, just think through I'm, it. I am. I am. That's, just, that's interesting. In other words, uh, there's a few places in North Dakota, mm-hmm. and there's a few uh Excuse me. There's a few places in New York, Connecticut, and even Rhode Island that has a pheasant, a, a few pheasants. But when you're talking about a preponderance, you get Pennsylvania, part of Maryland, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, South Dakota. Um, kind of all the way across. How about that? I'd never even well, considered that. Just think that. through it. That we've shot pheasants in. Uh, I've shot pheasants in Mexico, but you never see pheasants any place like you do for South Dakota. Wow, I do want to go. Okay, um, Oklahoma has a few pheasants. Mm-hmm. Kansas has a few pheasants. Nebraska, I think, 
uh, second pheasant I ever killed was in Nebraska. I killed a pheasant in uh, Hawaii. I killed a pheasant in Mexico. Where was the first? Where was the first pheasant you killed? I'm trying to think of whether it was New England. I think it was New England. Okay. So uh, of all the upland game, do you, did you go after you know grouse and woodcock? And well, the now whole the thing about prairie chickens and the whole I, deal. Well, I've I've killed a lot of prairie chickens. <laughs> I've killed a lot of sharp-tailed grouse. See that stuff, that tail feathers up there. Yep. That's one of the neatest hunting rough grouse that there is in the country. And where was that? Virginia. <laughs> well, tell me about that particular fan in particular. I think that's one that I killed in uh, Virginia. Virginia's got some. When, when I when I started talking about um, Maryland and Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. on the East Coast. Virginia spent a lot of money on pheasants. But the grouse are native to Virginia. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania has a lot of grouse. New York has a lot of grouse. New England has a lot of grouse. But I think that particular one I got in Virginia, and that is a, a mounted grouse. In the museum, mm-hmm. in the section, uh, you know where the guy's hat is? Yep. Okay. Well, in that little thing there, there's a mounted fe- uh, grouse there that I killed in Virginia. Hmm. It, uh, <clears throat> let me see if I can tell you the story. We had killed, I'd killed this grouse, and somebody says, why don't you? Get that thing mounted, I said. So I took it to a taxidermist in, in Virginia. And his wife was there, and I says, but I'd have trouble cook, uh, having grouse that tastes very good. Hmm. She says, well, how do you cook it? So I told her how I cook. She says, let me give you a recipe. And she gave me a recipe, and, and it is excellent on 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 grouse. Oh yeah, yeah. So so you you got the fan out of that one, but you cooked up the rest of them. Well, I've, I've killed several. <laughs> well, I know you have, but. <laughs> but now Wisconsin. Yeah, I met a guy. You see how how did it happen? I just says there's a town up there called I can't call it. But they've got a great big sign in front of the courthouse, the grouse capital of the world. Mm. And they got a painted grouse on that thing that's the size of that wall there almost. <laughs> <laughs> and they, uh, but I went up there and I finally met a guy that somebody says, you need to meet this guy. Mm-hmm. So I put the, uh, put the hammer on him and... He took me grouse hunting. And then a little later, I found another guy that really loved to grouse hunt. And I gave him one of a one of a, a, a setter that he loved to setter. So he was a real close guy, old Jack Haynes. Mm. <clears throat> and he had worked for the DNR for Wisconsin. So he knew all the places to go for, uh, grouse hunting. 
Not bad. So we had <laughs> uh, we've had some fantastic grouse hunts, and one of the key things you don't know him because he's dead. I had a brother. <coughs> it not, doesn't feel trial. Not interested in field trial, but the guy's a killer when it comes. The guy's a killer when it comes to uh, hunting. Mm. Quail, if it flies, it dies. <laughs> so we were up in uh, Wisconsin, and I think I had killed the limits five mm-hmm. grouse, and they're smart birds. They figure before they get airborne, they've got a tree to get behind, so you can't hit him. <laughs> so. My brother says we several people that shot this bird. Like it come along here, and somebody over there shot it and hit it. And some, well, I finally killed it. You know, over here, he says, if you'll let me claim that bird, I'll have my limit. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you can claim a bird because I can care less about limits. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So we've had some. It's a. It's one of the really tricky birds. Mm. It's probably the smartest bird to to hunt that there is. What makes it so tricky? Hit big woods. Mm. In other words, it can. You just don't have time to get on it before it's right behind the cover. It's In other it. words, once it gets airborne, it gets behind something. Well, you it's need coming. to get it as, as as soon as it gets airborne. You need to be on it. It's uh, like I said. It's uh, you're hunting it in thick, heavy cover. Mm. And you know, in other words, you got to worry about where you're stepping and where you're walking and so forth like that. Hey, it's not like quail hunting where the dog points and you just walk up behind him and chicken. Boom, 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 boom. So, um, when you, what type of dog would you hunt a grouse with? What part? Well, it, well now the thing I like about pointers and it's it's applicable to a, a lot of different breeds. I've had pointers. Yeah, I hunt pheasants with, mm-hmm. hunt quail with, hunt sharp tails with, hunt prairie chickens with, mm. hunt rough grouse with. It will point any game bird. Because it's a hunting dog. But now the thing that makes the difference is giving the dog the opportunity. If you never take it to the pheasant country, it'll never point a pheasant. If you never take it to the grouse country, it'll never point a grouse. But if you take this dogs to these various places that you hunt, mm-hmm. the dog will adapt. Yeah, Ben Ben's dog he has a he has a black lab. She's a good retriever, and he takes her to Nebraska every year. And he was just curious because they didn't have a flushing dog with them for pheasant. And they knew they were pheasant out in this field, and so. Like you said, just that introduction to a new species. He took her out there, and she's just running around. She doesn't even know what she's doing. And then all of a sudden, she catches that that scent, and she goes, now, wait a second. So, But this dog will, she'll, like, do side-to-side little courses and then flush them. And so it's pretty wild about just dogs okay. are very adaptable. And you see here again is uh, there was a guy – it said, I breed pointing labs. And, you know, I just said, okay, you can say anything you want to. But I've owned several labs. I said, I've got labs that I never, I just call them retrievers. 
But I said, they point birds. Mm-hmm. I mean, they stop on the bird. That's a point. Yep. It tells you, hey, I've got something here. It's a point. But that a thing that really I love about these labs is they just stick with a crippled bird. Hmm. In other words, you have a cripple. Yes. And you put that dog somewhere in the vicinity of, of that crippled bird, mm-hmm. and that lab will stay with that, that bird until he retrieves it. And let me give you a good example. We go to South Dakota and hunt with a group like for today. And then we did disband tomorrow. But Saturday I'll stay maybe an extra day and just ourselves hunt a little. Sure. <clears throat> well, we're in this cornfield. And Sally's down, marching through the thing with the lab. And I'm just standing down in the end sort of like blocking. Mm-hmm. And if a bird happens to fly out and get close enough, I shoot it. Okay, well, this particular day, this is a single event. I hit the bird when I shot at it. But I couldn't get a second shot at it because it's too far. Mm -hmm. But I knew I'd hit it, and I knew it's crippled. And I watched it fly, and it flew about as far as I'm here. Twice the distance, almost to your dad's house from here. Whoa. But in the long distance, there was a telephone pole out there, and the bird landed. In line with that pole. In line with that pole. Sadie comes up and says, well, where is the bird you shot? I says, sadly, <laughs> we've got a problem. He's like a quarter mile that way. <laughs> I said, you see that pole in the, it was at least a mile away. <laughs> and she, yep. I says, if you'll go straight to that pole, our lab will retrieve, find that bird. I stay right with the truck. <laughs> and she and our lab, which we had to put down last year. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, but you know, they're like people, they die too. Yep. <laughs> it never gets easy. But she, she went, found that crippled bird, retrieved it, and they brought it back. And I says, that's worth the whole trip hmm. that you could drive all the way to South Dakota, you hunt all day long, and you hunt the next day and have the dog perform. That way, it's really neat. Special to watch. Then I, I said one more example. We had a, this is another lab. We're hunting quail now in South Texas. Mm-hmm. And we put seven pointing dogs in the truck in one lab. And we normally hunt with just one dog at a time. A lot of people like to have three or four dogs. Yeah. Okay. We get this covey of birds to the pointer points, and we're running along. It is our lease here. It's a forbidden property over here, <laughs> in other words. And you do not trespass in Texas. That's one of the things that's smart not to do in Texas. <laughs> do not trespass. No Texas. doubt. Yeah. So I shoot this quail, and it 
falls right just next to the fence between the runs through the fence into the forbidden territory. And there was a little we call them mots down there. It's a, a an area about thirty five or forty yards wide. In other words, like a great big hunk of cover. Mm-hmm. But that quail ran into that cover. We turned the lab out, and the lab goes flashing to where that bird hit the ground under the fence. The dog is trespassing, but well, we're not. And that dog disappears in that cover. You called it mots? Well, it's just a, it's just a section of woods you just call a mot, which is, a, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's a... A, 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 a cover section. It's okay. got covers they versus open. Open ground. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So 20 minutes later, she comes out with that live quail. Wow. Broken wing under the fence and brings it to Salad. Now, Salad loves the retrievers, and the retrievers think Love they Sally. belong to Salad. <laughs> That's right. Brought that, brought that bird to Salad. Worth the whole trip to Texas to, for two months. Wow. Just seeing this dog perform this magnificent thing that it was bred to do, mm-hmm. just instinctively. It, now it would point uh, birds just like to, but now it really preferred to flush them. Okay. Because you don't, we didn't make it steady to wing and shot like you do your pointers. Sure. You sure. So uh, you shoot and let the lab out, and the lab retrieves. Yeah. So, so in other words, it's the combination of the best feeling in the world you can have. You got now the the, the pointers will retrieve a lot of birds, mm-hmm. and we've had some of the best retrievers in the pointers and setters you have ever seen. Did mm. I mean, and aggressively hunt dead birds, but. Uh, I mean, it's like you said, it's fun. If you have, have you, when you go to Oklahoma or these places to hunt, do you, you don't have a dog? I do not have a dog. I have, I have friends with dogs. Okay. I've never had my own dog, so I don't know what that feeling's like. Okay. Well, now I'll tell you what. I've gone to, like I had a brother that lived in Nebraska, Mm -hmm. and I'd fly out so I wouldn't take a dog with me. And, and just watching his dog was fine, but there's nothing like your own dog. Watching your own dog. That's what that's what Ben said. He, uh, we were talking about going out to Kansas, and he said, "Well, if I can't take my dog, I won't go. I don't want to go. <laughs> you know, if we're gonna hunt on our own and not go hunt with somebody, you know, it's just he's like, it's what he said. There's days when he hunts and he actually doesn't shoot. He just works his dog and lets other people shoot. And he said that's. Watching her just do an incredible retrieve. It's see, just, see, I've done a lot of that. Yeah. I have guests come. Shoot, I've shot enough in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's a, there was one retrieve I watched last year. And I've seen videos of some that my friends have taken of some pretty impressive retrieves where dogs are breaking through ice and climbing over them and falling through and going over them and, you know, just tough. But I, we, I watched this one. We were snow goose hunting. And 
we had one where we shot it and it just sailed. It did that same thing that your pheasant did, where it was a hit, it was a cripple, that bird was not going to make it, but he just put his wings out and just glided. Coasted. Just coasted. And it. he really easily could have coasted 600 to 1,000 yards. Yep. Really long. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where it was in, it was a big field that we were in, and then it was like two fields over. And this guy set his dog up. And I, we watched that dog for minutes, <laughs> just running, 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 jumping over a fence row, like stopped, crossed the road, run over. And uh, and he came back with that bird just as fast as he went out. And it was just a pleasure to watch. I mean, we think that we want it badly when we go hunt, but nobody wants it worse than those dogs. <laughs> nobody wants it worse than those dogs. I was thinking of some other things, too. There's all kind of, you know, you get a guy that, that hunts. I usually have a lot of guys coming to the museum, mm-hmm. and uh, you give a tour. But they always want to tell you about my dog. So you got, but I had one guy come in, an old boy from Mississippi or something, mm-hmm. and he wanted to go through every move his dog made. And he talked me to death. He talked me to death. So I finally says to him, I says, how about you slowing down for a little bit and let me tell you some, a couple of my stories. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hmm. No, but the Lord's been good to me. He's been blessed me uh, in so many ways. Saved my life in World War Two. Provided me with the dogs for my whole lifetime. See, we always had dogs in our family. My first remembrance of anything, you know, like I don't know whether it's two, three, or four. You know, you did. we always had dogs. My dad had dogs. I think until he was eighty-nine. When I come home on leave from the Navy or something like that, or home from college sure. or school or what have you, he always had dogs. Hmm. So, hey. So we always had, had dogs. dogs. And our original dogs, we never had kennels for them. Mm-hmm. We had maybe three up, three bird dogs. They just stayed loose in the yard. You're on the farm, right? Yeah. The boondogs. Where are they going to go? Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> we had one dog called Buckeye, bird finding fool. And if you shot a bird down, it retrieved it to hand. It's just nothing flat. But if you went through some other farmer's yard and it's a loose chicken, that dog could kill that chicken so quick you didn't even, you couldn't even see the dog. You, know, <laughs> you couldn't even see him move. So my dad had to buy a few chickens in his lifetime <laughs> if he was going to somebody's. Uh, so he was pretty birdie, as you <laughs> might I mean, say. Yeah. Hey, this is a good bird dog, and it's a chicken killer. He's heck on a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember just a hundred things that dogs did that uh, just turn you on. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Old dogs that you really didn't want to take hunting with you anymore because you had to, you know, so poor pet them along and yeah. carry them along. What's um? Give us one more of your your favorite in the field. Stories of one of your dogs. Well, it was my dad. 
I think one of the stories that uh, I was hunting with him, and we could walk from our house and start hunting. Mm-hmm. In other Just words, right out the back door. Right out the back door. So we had this old dog named Rex. He was a setter. Okay. And we had a young dog named Dan and a pointer dog that I've forgotten that dog's name. So Rex was already at the, sort of the end of the line. You did, in other mm-hmm. words, he was an old dog. An older dog. So <clears throat> he told mother, says, now keep him locked up and turn him loose in the 30 minutes or so after. Till we get out of. Till we get out of sight. What you know about an hour later that dog showed up where we were. <laughs> In other words, he trailed us all the way. All the way from where we left the house. Probably miles. And I mean, point. you know, we were zigzagging and you know, you know, hunting back and forth. So yeah. and old Rex showed up hour later. I mean, they're just their burning desire to go hunting. Mm. In other words, and the other thing that most dogs <clears throat> Like I told you, we had like seven pointers and uh, and setters and a dog was hunting in Texas. And we'd like to hunt one at a time. But now we hunted with a lot of people that left three or four dogs loose just all over the place. Just a completely disorganized hunt. Right. But they were having a good time. But we'd <clears throat> hunt one dog, come put it in the truck, let the next dog out. This dog was just eager for my turn. Hey. What are you going to let me out? What are you going to let me out? Hey, I'm ready. Oh, I know that pond right at the, <laughs> ready. Can, at the hey, kennel I'm door. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. Yeah. No, but you got uh, all kind of tales like that, that you remember that happened to, to, to dogs. That, and and the more they hunt, the more proficient they get. Right. Now, like uh, I told you uh, about one dog we had. It was proficient on five or six different game birds. Right. Now I'm I'm in Nebraska in the Sand Hills. Have you heard of the Nebraska Sand Hills? Mm-hmm. In fact, just south of Ballantine is where I'm talking about. <clears throat> but anyhow, this a little uh, a white, almost pure white pointer bitch. Mm-hmm. She pointed. Uh, now, ego's taking over now. I shouldn't tell you this. <laughs> That's all right. I'm for it. But she pointed, and up went a cubby. Of, I didn't know whether prayer chickens or sharp-tailed grouse. But I had this Remington lightweight. That 1100 you are talking about. I shot three times, and three birds fell. I put those in my coat, and we go... Less than from here to that fence out on the highway. Mm-hmm. And she points again. And up went a covey of birds. I shot three times there and three more of those things fell. <clears throat> the first batch was sharp-tailed grouse and the next batch was prairie chickens. In other words, they live in the same general vicinity, yeah. but they covey up together. In other words, the prairie chickens co- cover together. Yep. And the sharp tails cover together. Yep. Now, this rough grouse will go sometimes two and three. It will get up at the same time. It would be equivalent to a hatch of three or four birds. And then they just stay with stay, each other. They stay together. 
Really? And then a lot of times, 90% of the birds you kill, I mean, that you flush, are singles. Hmm. Occasionally, there'll be a double and hardly ever a triple. Hmm. But uh, I have seen some of nearly all of it. So I've been blessed with, uh, you know, some of the best hunting you've ever seen. We hunted a lot in Nebraska. But now the places we hunted out there, those hedgerows have been eliminated. Mm. I mean, like you were talking about even for yeah. quail a while ago. In other words, the farmers a long time ago, when they had the wind storms that caused the soil to... Right, right. You read du- about that. Mm-hmm, the Dust Bowl, and they came in dust and they started bowl. building those big wind breaks. Exactly. Yep. So they had wind breaks. I'm talking about miles and miles of wind breaks. And the best place to pheasant hunt was just get yourself and put one guy on one side. Just walk on, walk down. Walk, walk down. And if you were lucky enough to have a dog, the dog in the middle, then put a couple of guys at the end down there to block the place, you know. Yep. Or birds getting away and flying away from you. That's your favorite style for pheasant. Well, that would be, uh, well, uh, there's uh, Milo Fields mm-hmm. uh, in Nebraska was one where I, where I hunted the most. But then in the last uh, eight or ten years, South Dakota. South Dakota. Yeah. But we had this one guy, and I don't know how we've become good friends, but he... Uh, he joined one of our quail leases in Texas, hmm. but he was uh, a guy that did a lot of industrial plumbing, Okay, putting down new plumbing lines, replacing old lines, and what have you. Never finished college, hmm. but is fearless in making money. And he bought about three-quarters of a section of land in South Dakota, built a lodge on it, and after he'd hunted with quail with us for in Texas, and I met him here in the, at the museum, hmm. believe it or not. Really? <clears throat> he actually farmed this place for pheasants, had a c- cornfields, Milo fields, switchgrass, yes, uh, some regular weeded areas and what have you. Right, Nat- letting the natural stuff uh, come yeah. up where it will. And uh, the fantastic nest- nesting ground. And every year, the first day of the hunting season, he'd have us out. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the fun we had. <laughs> Hey, Santa has a picture of me somewhere where we took everybody's pheasant kill for the for the morning and put them on the ground, and I'm laying in the middle of all of pheasants all around. I'd like to see that. <laughs> I said, I didn't kill all those birds. <laughs> you had a big morning then, I tell you. Oh, well, Gary, I appreciate your time. Okay. I'll, I'll leave you to it. Well, it's uh, nice to see you. Nice to talk to somebody who likes yeah. to hunt. Yeah. But you need to go to South Dakota. I will. <laughs> I promise you. Once we get off the line, I'll ask you where. <laughs> but maybe I can convince you to come on again. I'd sure love to keep talking to you. Well, I'd be glad to. Uh,
Well, that's it for this episode of the Rolling Thunder podcast. We appreciate it as ever you're listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed that one. I hope to sit down again with Gary sometime soon and maybe get Spence involved too if he's, uh, if he's available. If you have any questions that you would perhaps like for me to ask Gary, feel free to send those either to the Rolling Thunder Game Calls Instagram page or to directly to me at uh, robkenny underscore photo in direct messages. So with that, uh, we'll see you on the next one.